Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness through reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put your, the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Lord God, as we uh, follow your son into the wilderness in this season of Lent, uh, we pray that you would teach us to live on your word alone, that your word would be our bread, and that you would teach us, Lord, to worship you alone. But more than any of that, that we would look to your son who passes the trial for us, who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves and shows himself to be trustworthy and true and pure. 
And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Welcome to Lent. Probably didn't wake up this morning saying, I can't wait to pray the Ten Commandments at 9 a.m. It can be a jarring experience. Um, But before we talk about Lent, I just wanted to thank everyone for your support and your prayers. Um, As you may know, I was in England recently. Um, undergoing my own trial, not like Jesus in the wilderness, but um, your prayers and your support and your enthusiasm and all of that has been overwhelming, honestly. And um, many of you may not know, if if you've been here a while, you probably know that I started this degree basically when St. Bart's started. So the life of this church and the life of this degree have always been entwined for me. So my thought was always to get this PhD um, in service to the church, and not as the church as some abstraction, but particularly this place where God has called me. So to have your support is, it's just an unbelievable affirmation um, that maybe I was onto something and that it wasn't the best thing for me to root up my family and go and do this thing, but to try to do it in community. Um, And there were hard things about it, obviously, but I can look at this life of this church, seven years old about, and actually my youngest daughter is about as old as my degree, um, and she's way cuter than anything that I wrote. Um, and that always kept things in perspective for me as well, is that that was not the most important thing um, that my family was and that this, this church family was. So I just wanted to say uh, thank you again uh, for your support, for your prayers, and for the enthusiasm. Um, it's, it's been overwhelming to Morgan and I, so thank you. Um, so we're in Lent Um, we have just been in the season of Epiphany and um, Epiphany is kind of a more is more kind of season um, where glory multiplies with glory and the light of Christ is like radiating out in the world and Lent is kind of a less is more season where there's an intentional stripping away an intentional slowing down. And the idea is that as we create space within ourselves, a space as a community, maybe a little bit more silence, a little bit more quiet, that God can enter into that space with us um, for the purpose not just of showing us our sin, that's just step one, but for the purpose that in confessing our sin, happy are those who confess their sins, happy are those in whom the Lord finds us fault, um, that he would move us towards relationship with him. So as we look um, at Jesus going into the wilderness on our behalf, I want you to keep that in mind that Lent is kind of a less is more season. Or another way to think about it is that the logic of Lent is the idea that you can get addition through subtraction. Um, and there's a kind of a silly example of this, but I love it because I've seen it work in my own life, is a balance bike. How many of you have had kids that have a balance bike? Okay, so there's two ways to train a kid to ride a bike. One is you can add something to the bike, which is training wheels, or you can take the pedals off. One is designed by addition and one is designed by subtraction. And the balance bike takes something away. And yet, it teaches the kid to do the one thing that actually riding a bike is. It's not just pedaling the pedals, it's the balance. 
with a balance bike and my younger daughter had a balance bike and my older daughter had training wheels and she learned to ride a bike so much faster than my older daughter because something was taken away rather than something being added on um, because she was able to learn how to balance because she'd get her little legs going and just put them up like that and then she'd be (laughs) going on the balance bike and as soon as she was ready, we put her on her bike and it was like five minutes later, she had already gotten the pedaling because she already knew how to balance. Whereas with the training wheels, the pedaling was already there, but the balance wasn't. And she had, my older daughter had to learn from scratch how to ride the bike. Lent is like taking the pedals off your bike on purpose so that you can see where your equilibrium really is. Lent is a season of less is more. Lent is a season of, of addition through subtraction. Because Lent takes us back to the most basic things, the most elemental, fundamental things. And we see that in our passage from Romans today. These are the most elemental themes of our faith. Adam, sin, death. Christ, life, righteousness. It's the most archetypal, basic way that we can articulate what is at stake is that we, because we are children of Adam, are subject to sin and to death, but that's not the end of the story. There's a last Adam who comes on our behalf and brings life (coughs) and righteousness into the world. That's elemental. That's basic. So we're stripping everything else away so that we can focus on that. And the place that symbolizes that stripping away, that embodies that stripping away, is the wilderness. That is the place of subtraction. There's nothing there. There's nothing in the wilderness except reliance upon God. So Jesus is baptized by John. He hears the voice of the Lord declaring over him that he is the beloved son in whom God is well pleased. And immediately he is driven into the wilderness to undergo this temptation. And I don't want you just to think of the word temptation as in being tempted to sin. I want you to think about the word as also meaning a trial. And not like a legal trial, but like if you had a really great car and you wanted to see what it could really do and you took it out to a track and pushed it to its limits, that would be a trial. You're putting that car on a trial because you want to see what it's actually capable of. That is one of the things that's happening when Jesus goes into the wilderness to undergo the trial from Satan. He's demonstrating to us who he really is. God's already declared who he is. Satan's going to challenge him at that very point, if you are the son of God. But in passing the fiery ordeal, the fiery trial, Jesus shows us who he really is. If you put pure gold into a fire and melt it down, all that will be left is the pure gold. It'll be shown to be pure gold. If you put impure gold into a fire and melt it down, all the impurities will be shown for what they are. Maybe to the naked eye, you couldn't tell the difference. It's the trial, it's the fire that reveals the gold for what it is. It's the trial that Jesus undergoes in the wilderness on our behalf that shows who he really is. And first and foremost, it's Jesus who endures this trial in the wilderness for us to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
So we can talk about Lent as this practice of going into the wilderness, of fasting, all the things that go along with Lent. But if we lose sight of this one truth, we're going to get lost in just doing some stuff. The thing we cannot lose sight of is that Jesus goes to do what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's what Paul is talking about. There was the first Adam, and now there's the last Adam. And the last Adam succeeds where the first Adam fails. So Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's something like Adam in the garden because he is given the opportunity to choose for or against God, to choose for life or against life, just as Adam in the garden was given that choice. And Paul is at pains to tell us in Romans 5 that so much rides on these choices and these actions because through the first Adam comes sin and death and through the second Adam comes life and righteousness and grace abounding with grace. Abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness because Jesus does for us what we cannot do for himself, ourselves, which is what? Pass the test to say no. So when the devil comes to him and says, hey, it's been 40 days since you've eaten anything. I bet you're hungry. Also, you're the son of God. So let's do a two for one deal. You're hungry. You can do stuff. Turn the rock into some bread. The temptation is parallel to Adam's temptation for Adam to grab what does not belong to him, to stand in the place of God, And Jesus says, no, because there's more to life than bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus endures the trial, the fiery test. He's shown to be pure. He redeems in this moment the story of Adam. And not only that, he redeems the story of Israel, who also spent some time in the wilderness. Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness are in parallel to Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. And it didn't go so well for them. They were there 40 years because it didn't go so well. They didn't pass the trial at every point. But God tells his people in the book of Deuteronomy that I took you to the wilderness to test you, to put you under a trial, to show you what was in your heart so that you would rely on me more and more. That's what Lent is about. God wants to show us what's in our hearts, not so that he can point the finger, the bony finger of scorning shame or something like that, but so that he can remove those things to move us deeper into relationship with him. That's why I love the confession that we use, is we confess our sins, but at the end we say, so that, why do I want my sins forgiven? Just so I can get back to zero with God and move on with my life? Or because I want to delight in his will and walk in his ways to the glory of his name. God wants to remove these obstacles for us so that we can move forward in relationship with him. And if we get in the mentality that Lent is just about my sin, and I've got to get all this stuff out. Well, that's step one. That's important. You have to remove those barriers to relationship, just like in any human relationship. If there's something between you and the other person, you have to deal with that in order to move forward. But it's not just about getting rid of the stuff. It's about moving deeper into intimacy, 
into relationship. So Jesus does what Adam cannot do in passing the fire trial, and he does what Israel cannot do by fully relying on God, by worshiping him alone, by feeding on him and his word. But Israel's time in the desert is instructive for us because it's a time of closeness to the Lord where he draws his people into him for utter reliance for everything, for food, for protection, for navigation, the manna. He feeds them with the manna. He covers them with a cloud so that they can move by day. He protects them with a fiery pillar in, at night. He's in their midst in the tabernacle. It, that time of the wilderness in the spiritual life is a time of closeness where God holds us close to him. And that's the opportunity, whether we willingly enter the wilderness in Lent or whether life has thrown us into the wilderness. And many of you may find yourself with that experience. Whether it's Lent or not, you're in the time of trial. You're in that time of wilderness and that time of lack, wondering where God is. And the message is God wants to draw you close to foster intimacy with him. So Jesus endures the trial to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And Jesus endures the trial of the wilderness to demonstrate to us that he is trustworthy. He is pure gold. He undergoes the fire and that gold is shown to be pure gold. No impurity within it. That's a demonstration for us. See, God was doing something in his son in the wilderness, but he's also doing something for us in his son in the wilderness to demonstrate that we can trust him because he passes the test, because his motivations are pure, because he is pure gold. In the book uh, called Jesus of Nazareth by the recently deceased uh, Benedict XVI, he looks at these three temptations and he asks at the end an amazing question. What did Jesus actually bring, if not world peace, universal prosperity, and a better world? Because part of what Benedict says that the devil is tempting Jesus with is, hey, you could feed everybody. People really like food. That's one thing I know about people. They like food. And if you just fed everybody, of course. Wouldn't it go better for you? And if you just threw yourself off the temple and just demonstrated to everybody how powerful you were, wouldn't that be an easier way? Or I could just give you all these kingdoms. All you have to do is worship me. And Jesus refuses each one of those things. What did Jesus actually bring, if not world peace, universal prosperity, and a better world? How would you answer that question? What did Jesus actually bring? So before I tell you what Benedict says, which I think is a good answer, maybe not the only answer, before I tell you his answer, I want you to think for a second how you would answer the question. What is it that Jesus brings to the world? If not turning the rocks into the bread and defeat everybody, if not universal prosperity, if not world peace, if not an immediate better world, but a kingdom that's small, that's working itself out as a leaven in bread, what did he actually bring? Benedict's answer is this. The answer is very simple. God. 
He has brought God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You shall not worship anybody but the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. That elemental stripping away that Lent is, is meant to bring us back to that one conclusion. What's it about? What does Jesus want to give us if not God? God himself. In the wilderness where Jesus asks us to follow him, God wants to show us what's going on in our hearts in order that he might draw us closer to himself. That's what it's all about. That's what the Christian life is always about. (laughs) But sometimes we need a protracted period of time where we focus and we say, I want to strip stuff away. I want to get rid of the excess. I want to have a less is more addition by subtraction encounter with God as God is. And the wilderness is the place where God has always done that for his people. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If that's true, that's why we would willingly enter a season where less is more. The reason that it took someone as long as it did to invent the balance bike is because we don't think in terms of subtraction. We tend to think in terms of addition. What I need is more, more things, more books, more insight, more principles. But Lent says, no, what you need is less. There's a stripping away. Let's get back to the core of things. If we forget that God is ultimately after closeness with us, nearness with us, that what he wants is relationship, then we will come to see Lent only as a time of self-denial and maybe a season of morbidity. And some people are inclined to that kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm like here for that, you know. But most of us aren't. Self-denial for the sake of self-denial is not great. What is self-denial for, if not to foster intimacy? Jesus brings God to us. Jesus also brings us to God. And that's what we have to remember, is that Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He passes the test. And that is why he is trustworthy. That is why we put our hope in him. That is why we believe on him to bring us the abundance in life and grace and love and mercy and all the things that Paul says of Jesus in Romans chapter five. God, Jesus brings God to us and Jesus brings us to God. That's the gospel. And that's the gospel of Lent. Jesus moves towards us so that he might draw us to the Father. You may or may not have thought about, well, what should I give up for Lent? Or, you know, it, there's still time. You didn't have to have decided on Ash Wednesday. And I think that's a good question. It's worth asking. And it's worth prayerfully asking God what he might want you to give up. You might be surprised by the answer. Um, but even more than that, if God says, yeah, I really want you to give up X, then What's behind him asking you that is, 
I really want to draw closer to you. And this thing is an obstacle. This appetite is an obstacle. This habit is an obstacle. And I want to deal with that so that I can draw closer to you. So I said this on Ash Wednesday. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to pray for us. The 40 days of Lent are not a time where the gospel of grace is just set to the side. (laughs) And we just pretend like, oh, we have to just beat ourselves up for 40 days. And then Easter happens, and we're all happy again. It's actually a time when we rely even more deeply on the grace of God because we actually take our own weakness seriously. And that's what our collect was today. We are weak. He is not. Let's rely on him. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you pass the test that we cannot pass ourselves. And that in passing that test, you show us that you are trustworthy. And Lord, more than anything this morning, I pray that for myself and for all of us, we would hear the simple truth that what you want is us, that you want our hearts, and that you are asking us to strip things away that get in the way of knowing you more deeply, of relying on you fully. So I pray for a holy 40 days for all of us where there is space and time and silence for us to know anew or maybe for the first time that you love us and that you are for us and that you want to draw near to us. We thank you for your son who brings you to us and us to you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.